ages three years old through kindergarten. You guys can come down uh, to the front here. Uh, who's up today? Beaties? Y'all up? You're up. Beaties are up. Meet them down here. We'll do a little children's church this morning. If you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to the uh, book of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah chapter 63 is where we find ourselves, and we are... Uh, Isaiah 63, we'll, we'll, we'll look at verses 15, uh, let's do 15 through 19 today. Isaiah 63. Uh, And if you would, please stand uh, as we honor the reading of God's Word this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 19, but I want to go ahead and just read uh, starting in verse 15. Starting in verse 15, the prophet says this. He says, Look down from heaven and see from your holy and beautiful habitation. Where are your zeal and your might? The stirring of your inner parts and your compassion are held back from me. For you are our Father, Though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our Father, our Redeemer from of old is your name. Verse 17, O Lord, why do you make us wonder from your ways and harden our hearts so that we fear you not? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribe of your heritage. Your holy people held possession for a little while. Our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. We have become like those over whom you have never ruled, like those who are not called by your name. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what it shows us, Father. I pray that today uh, that we would have a longing uh, for the peace of God in our lives. Uh, I pray that you would speak comfort to those of us who are anxious, uh, those of us who uh, lack peace today, that that we would find that uh, in you, that we would find it in Jesus Christ. Uh, thank you for all you've given us, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. You guys can be seated. So we are uh, in the Advent season, uh, and two weeks ago, uh, my friend Ricky kicked us off by, by talking about how we look back so that we can look forward. So in other words, we, we look back on God's love and faithfulness to us in the past, and that strengthens and that bolsters our faith here in the present, and then gives us a hope for the future. So you and I as believers, we we look back to see that God has kept his promises in sending Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could be reconciled with him. And that Jesus rose again three days later and he's now at the right hand of the Father. And when we look back and we see that, that he kept that promise the first time, we can look forward knowing that he's going to keep his promise the second time to bring his kingdom here to this earth to where he'll reign forever, right all wrongs, and make everything new. In this Advent season, we've been looking, or we chose to look at the book of Isaiah. And if you remember, Isaiah's writing to uh, a people who are about to be removed from their homeland. They're about to be taken away, and everything that they know is going to be removed from them. And so they're crying out and they begin to ask questions that, that you, and our, our, you and I find ourselves asking all the time. And Joe preached last week and did a great job talking about how they asked last week in verses 15 through, through 16, um, God, where is your love? They had this longing for God's love and they didn't, they didn't feel it. 
And as Joe said last week, we can all relate to that to some point or maybe even at multiple points this last year. We've asked God, like, where are you? Like, like, have you forgotten us? Are you listening? Are you paying attention to what's going on down there? Like, I don't feel your love this year, God. And the people are saying the same thing, that there seems to be this distance between God and his people. But as Joe said last week, what the people didn't know and what we can see and what we know is that God had not and has not forgotten his people. That God says, I love you. I've not forgotten you, and to prove it, I'm going to cross the distance myself. I'm going to bridge the gap between you and me, and I'm going to come to this earth as Emmanuel. Emmanuel just means that God is with us, that he will be near. So when you and I ask the question, God, where are you? We can look back and see that God came to be with us as the man Jesus Christ, And that if he kept that promise the first time, he'll keep his promise to return to us a second time. And so that bolsters, again, that strengthens our faith here in the present, and it gives us hope for the future that's coming. Now, probably the biggest struggle or one of my biggest struggles has always been uh, finding peace. You know me well enough to know now that I'm an anxious person by nature, right? I, I am wound really, really tight. Uh, if, if somebody tells me, hey, I'm going to come pick you up at 3 o'clock, about 2 o'clock, I'm pacing the house, right? An hour before they get there. My dad used to always be like, sit down, you're making me nervous, Byron. I mean, like, that's just how I am. I have a hard time relaxing. I have a hard time being at peace. Uh, there was this stretch of time where anytime I ever got pulled over by a cop, I got my car searched. Um, I'll never forget, I was coming back from school one time right outside a canyon. Uh, highway patrolman pulls me over, comes to the car. He's doing, you know, their spiel. Uh, and all of a sudden he goes, hey, buddy, you're kind of twitchy. You want substances? No, no sir, it's just, just how I am, sir. You won't mind if I look around the car a little bit then, will you? Right? And that happened to me on, on multiple occasions. I just have a hard time just relaxing. I have a hard time being at peace. And listen, I think all of us at some point can can relate to not being at peace. We've all had moments in our lives, we've maybe even had multiple moments where we wonder, is there peace between me and God? Like, like God, are me and you cool? Like, like I know I did that thing that I shouldn't have done, but I've asked you to forgive me for that thing, but I, I don't feel like we're cool. Like, I don't feel like you really forgave me. So, so let me tell you what I'm going to do, God. Since I don't feel like you forgave me, I'm going to prove to you how sorry I am. So God, I've got a list. Here's my list, okay? I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to go to church more. Uh, I might just actually go to church. You know, I'm going to start doing those things. Uh, I, I'll help with Meals on Wheels. Uh, I'm going to do all these things, hoping that if I do enough, then I'll feel cool with you, and then I'll have some sort of inward peace on the inside for all the things that I've done wrong. But... We also long for external peace, don't we? After the year all of us have had, I think we can relate to that. When are things going to be normal again? You know, it's hard to plan long term for, for anything. Uh, I heard a guy talking the other day, and he's a Christian that works at the National Institute of Health, and he was saying, oh, it ain't going to be till April, man, and, and you're not going to have church camp, and you know, you're not going to be able to, to do anything again, and on and on they go, and so it's just like, well, what do we do? You know, we're getting ready to plan all these things, and can we plan them? 
And so there's this external peace, like, I mean, are they going to shut us down again? And there's just, 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 we're anxious about it. Will I keep my job a month from now? Will we have to go back to remote learning, right? No. <laughs> I mean, politically, we've all had a hard time finding peace this year, haven't we? I mean, we're still going, okay, you know, who won the election, right? It, it, you know, are they going to be able to prove that somebody cheated, right? Is, 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 is there going to be even peace after we finally get a winner, right? There's all this just angst with all of that. And there's probably been more civil or societal unrest this year than, than any year I can remember in, in my lifetime, okay? Right? And Mary, I get it. You were around way back in like, you know, 60s and stuff like that. So I, I get that. But we're always wondering, like, is, is there peace? Is there going to be peace? Is 2021 going to be any better? Or is it going to look at 2020 and say, hold my beer, I got this, okay? I mean, what, what's going to happen? So it's hard to find peace. See, well, listen, Isaiah 63, the people of God, they're asking the same question. They're in the midst of unrest. So the Assyrians have already invaded and destroyed Israel's northern kingdom. They've scattered those people all over the known world, and they are now lost to history. The southern kingdom, where Isaiah is at, they've hung on for the time being. But Isaiah keeps telling them that they don't have much longer. He's saying, listen, Babylon is about to destroy your life, and they're about to take away your normal. Things are about to be turned upside down for you. And so these people are struggling to find peace. And in chapter 63, Isaiah surveys the people of God. As Joe said last week, it's, it's the church in his day. And he anticipates a judgment that will fall. And he's moved to ask God, first off, hey, God, where is your love gone? And it's not that God does not have compassion for them. It's that they don't have a sense or an awareness of his love at all. They don't feel it, okay? We've all been there. And even though he's their father, even though he's rescued them in the past, they don't feel his love in the present. And so there's this distance between God and his people. And then if you look at verses 17 through 19, Isaiah shows us why that distance is there. Look what it says in verse 17. It says, Oh Lord, why do you make us wonder from your ways and harden our hearts so that we fear you not. Return for the sake of your servants. The tribes of your heritage, your holy people, held possession for a little while. Our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. We have become like those over whom you have never ruled, like those who are not called by your name. Now what I want you to see is that this coming judgment is so sure that Isaiah is speaking about it as if it has already occurred, as if it's already happened. He's saying, hey, the temple is already destroyed. It's already trampled on. That our nation has been reduced to a footnote in history. That we're no different than any other nation. He says, we are like a nation that you've never even ruled over, God. And the frightening part about all this is, if you look at verse 17, we see the one who's behind all this. Oh Lord, why do you make us wonder from your ways? Why do you harden our heart so that we fear you not? Now he doesn't mean that God is the one who causes them or us to sin. That's not what Isaiah is saying. 
But he's just saying the same thing that Paul would later say in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 28, where he says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Brothers and sisters, the worst discipline that God can inflict on us is not sickness or loss or even a pandemic. It's saying to us that you have resolved to pursue this pattern of sin despite all I have taught you and all the warnings I have sent you. And so therefore, very well, you can have it. And he gives us up to pursue our sins. See, the reason the people of God felt this sense of distance and this lack of peace is because God has given them up to pursue the things that they've been chasing and they're suffering the consequences for their sins. And see, the funny thing about this sort of discipline is this, is that for a time when God gives us up, things might turn out great for us for a time. Things might go well. You might find some peace in what you're pursuing. You may begin to see, say, see, God, think, things are a lot easier without you. Things are so much more simpler without you in my life. Like, everything's going the way I want it to go. David Strain puts it this way. Listen to how he says it. He says, life might begin to work out. Everything you touch might even turn to gold. And all the while, unnoticed, our alcohol abuse slowly advances unchecked. The pornography addiction ensnares our hearts in its vice grip. Our anger escalates into fits of uncontrolled rage. Lies become a way of life. The bitter poison of too long-cherished resentment sour our souls. Slowly but surely, we've become dominated by secret sins that contradict our outward profession of faith in Jesus, and we never saw it coming. We were oblivious. What has happened? Our hearts have been hardened. We've stopped fearing God so that willingly now we indulge our sin with hardly the slightest twinge of conscience. And see, what happens is, is when those things begin to happen to us, oftentimes instead of turning back and running back into the arms of God for forgiveness, here's what we do as human beings, and we're all guilty of this. We turn our hearts to escapism to numb the pain. We turn to escapism, to, to numb the, the lack of inner peace that we feel between ourselves and God. So you, you might pour yourself into work to escape the lack of peace. Or maybe you begin working for the weekend, right? It's just, I just got to get to Friday. Or you work for those three-day weekends. I've often heard, well, it's the only weekend we can get away. I know this is probably true for a lot of people in this room because it's true of Americans worldwide is that over the last year we've drank more than normal to numb the pain, the lack of inner peace that we feel. Or the most popular one is we turn to television, don't we? Yeah. Joe and I were talking about the sermon this week and Joe made a really, really good point. Joe said part of the reasons why we've been so upset about the influx of politics into sports, right? And I hate it, okay? I, I, I hate it. You know I hate it. I've griped about it. But part of the reason we're angry about it is that was our escape. That we could sit down for three hours, 
and we could numb the lack of peace that we feel and not have to think about a thing. I've been angry about certain television shows that Mariah and I watch. Right? Because we got these shows and some of them are really good and they had this great storyline going. And all of a sudden they're like, well, we got to cram the virus in, into the show, right? And I'm like, I watch the show because I don't want to think about the virus, right? Now the guy's wearing a mask and I don't know. And I hate it. But I do it because I want to numb the fact that I lack peace and I don't want to think about all those things for just an hour. And all the while I'm forgetting that the only one who can bring me true peace is the one that I'm avoiding, and that's Jesus Christ. The other thing that we do, okay, so if we lack external, internal peace, we lack external peace. And so the other thing we do to avoid the lack of peace in our soul is we avoid others. We avoid having any sort of meaningful relationship, and we just isolate ourselves on an island. And I think as a church, we've gotten better about this over the years, but I still think we struggle with this. Because a lot of us keep our relationships very surface level. How's the weather? How's work? How's kids? Cool. See you later. Talk to you next Sunday. Open up and talk to somebody in Sunday school. Oh, man. I, I can't let them know that, that I'm struggling or that I have problems or that I need prayer. Go to home group. Oh, And we isolate ourselves. And it's just another form of escapism. We lack peace, and so we convince ourselves the solution is isolation. Just keep people away, and I'll deal with it all on my own. David Powlison, in his book, How Does Sanctification Work? I read it this week. It's only about 120 pages. Highly recommend it. He says, we're tempted to turn from God and his word, and we take great psalms, like Psalm 23, that says this, that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, Pallison says that, that when we begin to isolate ourselves and whenever we turn away, he says, without a good shepherd, that we script our lives to the opposite of Psalm 23, to an anti-psalm of foolish hopes. And Pallison puts it this way. He says, it starts out with a heady, self-confident affirmation of faith. I can take care of myself. I am basically a good person. I can pursue and achieve my goals. I'm confident in myself and my abilities. I say what I think and I do what I want. But in the long run, like all anti-psalms, this faith betrays its believers. So when the Lord is not your shepherd, the outcome and destination are predictable. I am alone. No one looks out for me or looks after me. I'm empty, needy, restless, and unsafe. When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I have no protector. I fear the bad things that can happen to me. Other people let you down or hurt you. In the end, you lose every good thing you ever had. And death is your shepherd. So what do we do with the lack of peace that, that we all experience, right? So if the, the solution's not to escape it or numb the pain, the solution's not to isolate ourselves, what, what do we do with that? 
Well, look at verse 17. Again, Isaiah gives us the answer. He says, Oh Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts so that we fear you not? And look what he says. Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. See, when we wander away from God, that doesn't put him in the the helpless position of just hand-wringing and going, I don't know what I'm going to do with him next. I just don't know what else is going to happen. No, no. when we wander, he may hand us over to the power of our sins, which is a scary place to be. But see, when that happens, our only hope is that God himself would return to us for the sake of his servants. See, when we've wandered from his ways and no longer fear him, our hope is not in ourselves at all. Our hope is not in us doing more to try to press him. It's not in pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps. Our hope is only in his mercy, that God himself will return to us. And see, this is where the children of Israel are at this point in Isaiah 63. The only hope they have left is that God would return to them. Right? Isaiah's already telling them, this is sure, you're going to be carried away. All this is going to be destroyed. Your only hope is that God would return. And thankfully for them, that God had promised already that he would return to them. In Isaiah chapter 9, Jay read it this morning, Isaiah made this great promise that for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And here it is, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Did you catch that last part? God will do it all. The zeal of the Lord will make sure that this Prince of Peace arrived. He promised that he would come. And if you notice, like I said, he makes it clear that he himself will do it all. That there's nothing that us as human beings can do to accomplish this. And so we know that thousands of years later, an angel comes to a young girl named Mary. And he tells her that she will have a child conceived by the Holy Spirit. And in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55, we get that wonderful song uh, of Mary. And this is what Mary says. Verse 46, and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. I love that last line. In remembrance of his mercy, God himself came to his people. The Lord of hosts accomplished all of that. On the night that Jesus was born, there were shepherds in the field and an angel appears to them, tells them this in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. 
And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And check it out. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. See, on this side of the cross, we know that Jesus would live a perfect life. The life that you and I are incapable of living because of our sin. That Jesus would take our sin to the cross, pay the penalty that our sins have occurred, satisfying the debt that we owe God. Three days later, he would rise again, showing the check that he wrote cleared the bank. And so because of Jesus, those of us who have trusted in him, not in ourselves, not in what we can do, not in our own merit, but those of us who have trusted in Jesus and his life, his death, his resurrection, we now have peace with God. That extra internal peace that we're always wondering about, we have that. We know that when we sin, we're forgiven because Jesus paid our debt. And now that our sins are covered, we can experience this gospel-bought freedom. We can apply this to the areas of our life where we lack peace. We can trust our God and Father who knows what we need. So what it means is this. I don't know what 2021 is going to be like, okay? I do think that we need to quit magically thinking that it's going to click over to January 2021 and it's all just going to go away, okay? We've made an idol of that to an extent, okay? I don't know what it's going to be like. I do know that Jesus told me in the book of Matthew that today has enough trouble of its own and we don't need to borrow any more from tomorrow. I do know this, though, too, folks, that he's already gone ahead of us into the new year. So I can trust him. And listen, I can do my best. I'm an anxious person. I can do my best to live out the balance of one day at a time. And I can live in celebration today of his grace and goodness, knowing that my greatest problem, sin, has been taken care of by Jesus Christ and that now I have peace with the God who made me. But listen, we can also rest in the promise that there will be external peace between me and the rest of the world one day. Between me and others, because our great God has promised to return a second time And when he does, he'll set this world right. Joe read this morning in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. He's not talking about the first coming of Christ. He's talking about the second. And he says, he shall judge between the nations and just shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they war Anymore. In other words, Jesus will set up a new kingdom where we can lay down our defenses, right? We won't need the Second Amendment anymore. We can lay it down. We can rest in the peace of Christ. In Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 through 4, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain 
anymore. For the former things have passed away. Jesus will return and we will be with him bodily and we will see him face to face. So that lack of inner peace that we feel between us and God, gone because of Jesus. That external, lack of external peace that we feel, that outer peace with the world will one day be gone because the Prince of Peace will be here reigning and ruling forever. So my question then for you is, is are you longing for the Prince of Peace to return? I really hope that this Advent season, more than any other, you are longing for that because, boy, do we ever need peace. Let me give you three things. Three things that I think will help you in, in your longing this Advent season. Very practical things. So first and foremost, I would say turn away from your sins and ask God to come to you. If you never put your faith and trust in Jesus, then you aren't submitting to his rule and you are not called by his name. It means that you're not a believer. And if that's where you are, admit that today. Be honest about that. And don't remain where you're at. Today is an invitation that I'm extending to you for you to ask Jesus, the Prince of Peace, to rule over your heart, to take all of your longings for peace and to trust in him for salvation from Satan, sin, and death. That's the first thing. The second thing is for those of you who are believers, become aware of your lack of peace. Don't numb it. Don't escape from it. Maybe spend some time being free from distraction and, and from noise. And so maybe that means that this season you need to spend less time watching TV, less time on your phone, less music, less, less whatever it is that distracts you from just listening. Sit in a chair and just be quiet and be aware of all the anxieties that you're carrying. And then ask yourselves questions like these, okay? And they're scary questions, but ask yourself these questions. What keeps me up at night? What makes me anxious or angry? What's my biggest fear? And whatever the answers are for you, think about the things that you're running to to find peace apart from God. And maybe this Advent, you would give those things up for a season and run to the Lord. Maybe, listen, maybe you need to repent of some of those things. And listen, repentance is not a bad word. Repentance is not a divine spanking, okay? I think we still think of it as just God going, nah, you're in trouble. That, that's not what it means. Repentance is just an invitation for you and I as Christians to step into the life that God has called us to. It's an invitation for you and I to go, okay, God, I see where I've drifted and I moved away from what you've called me to do. I'm sorry. I thank you that you've forgiven me. I thank you that you paid that sin. And now I'm going to step back into the lane that you've called me to live in and experience the freedom that you've given me. That's what repentance is. And maybe that's what you need to do today. And then finally, thirdly, talk open and honestly with God and pray with others. Pray with others. See, Isaiah is praying openly and honestly with God. That's what he's doing in, in chapter 63. He's being very honest. Where are you at, God? We lack peace. Where's your love? Like, he's being very honest. But I want you to also notice that it's a communal prayer. 
Notice the us language that's sprinkled throughout the whole passage. So there's nothing better than knowing that you have brothers and sisters in Christ praying for you and with you. So maybe some of us just need to be honest with a friend and say, hey, this is where I'm at. Would you pray with me? Maybe today you don't need to leave here until you seek a friend and have somebody pray over you. And so as we head into another week of Advent, my prayer is that you and I would be captured by the peace of God and that we would long for it. That we would remember Paul's words to the Philippians in chapter 4, verses 5 and 7, where he says, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And then check it. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understandings, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day and I thank you for all you've given us. I thank you for your faithfulness to us in the past, for sending Jesus to do what we could not do, to pay the debts that our our sin has incurred, so that we could have peace with you, Father. And so today I pray that if there's anyone in here that has never trusted in you, that today you've wooed them, you've called them, and that you have, by your might and your power, saved them today. And that they would not leave here without telling somebody what's happened in their heart uh, and praying with someone. Father, I thank you also for the hope that we have of Advent, that you not um, didn't just come one time, but you've promised to return a second time. And that, Father, on that great day, you will, you will put everything in order. And we'll have peace, not peace, not only with you, but, but, Father, peace with the world as we dwell with you bodily in a new heavens and a new earth. So I pray this week that you would make us aware of those areas where we lack peace. And instead of escaping and running to other things, that, Father, we would escape and run to you and rest in your arms that we would run to our brothers and sisters in Christ and that we would seek prayer and that we would spend time praying with others and longing for the peace that only you can give. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for all you've given us and it's in your name we pray, amen. If you would please stand this morning.